I am only recently a planner. I was not, for most of my life, very much into plans of, of any kind. I, part of that had to do with not having much to plan for at all. And so, um, like when I was, uh, when I came back to Austin and I was for a while, so this is after seminary, after I spent some time in Denver, my, my job was to um, think of SEO names for uh, plumbing pieces. And so SEO is search engine optimization. So this is the late tw- 2000s. And so this was a big thing to get on Google. And so you'd have to think of how many different th- ways can you describe a tube. And so <laughs> this, was, this was my job. And so I'd wake up and I would do that as long as physically possible. And then I would sleep and eat. And so if I made a list of my day, it would really not, not be that much. I didn't have much to, to plan for. I didn't have much to prepare for. Um, I didn't have many responsibilities beyond my dog. And so that was, that was my life. But since then, life has changed slightly for me. I'm in the, in the third year of an appointment at a church. And so that's pretty wonderful. I have responsibilities here. I have responsibilities to my family. Um, Sunday comes every week. It's pretty predictable. I can, I can look you know, five years in the future, and there will be a Sunday um, that is going to happen. Uh, the amazing thing about the church calendar is I can tell what the scripture text for that day in 2025, like for August of 2025, I can tell you what the scripture texts are going to be for that day. I could, if I wanted to, start preparing for that. I'm not. I'm not that excessive. <laughs> but um, but that's, that's where, you know, I've become that way. And what's helped me a lot recently has been this book called A Productivity Plan. And this is a little nifty device that helps me to, to prepare and to plan, plan my week. And it's like a regular, you know, keeping lists of the important things to do. And you try to think of, okay, what is the one thing I could do today that if I did it, I would be satisfied with that day. And so always start your day with that thing. But the, the cool thing about this is it lists, it has um, these little Pomodoro balls that you can fill in. The Pomodoro is an Italian technique of productivity. And so you spend 25 minutes doing your task and then you have a five minute break. And so it helps if you're doing like eight hours of writing so you can like break up the time and, and figure that out. Well, what this book helps me with is I, I have to predict how long something is going to take for me to do it. And so I think, okay, block sermon is something I have down there, something to do. Just go through the sermon, see where I'm going to stand. Oh, I think I'm going to stand here. Okay. <laughs> how long is that going to take? And so I think, oh, I think it'll take two Pomodoros. And it's like, oh, it only took one Pomodoro. Oh, it doesn't take as long as I think it's going to take. And then I can learn from that and learn how long tasks actually are. So I have a way of, of figuring out, and especially a way of not avoiding things. Because sometimes I avoid things because I think they're going to take too long to do. It's like, oh my gosh, that's going to take all afternoon. I don't want to, I need to wait until I have all afternoon to do that. When in reality, it just takes an hour. And then I'm like, after I, I practice and plan, I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can handle this. I can kind of get a grip on, on what's going on in my life. We plan around who we are and who we think we are, around what our identity is. We make plans for our future, plans for retirement, plans for vacations, plans to see, see the world, plans based on the kind of people we think we are. One of the aspects of the book of Revelation that has drawn people to it over the years is that it, people think that there's a plan for our future there, that we can kind of figure out and get down on paper, and then we'll know what it is. And we can hold it like this, and we have it, and we have it concretely. Now, I think there are images of our future with God, but I don't think there's a plan 
like this, where we can fill in the little bubbles and have that going on. Instead, like the scripture in Revelation, our future with God is like a city descending. A new heaven and a new earth. And that means that all the plans we have made up until now will probably not fit into this new city. And that could be hard to take. What about, what about my book, God? What about all the things I said I needed to do? There's, there's something else that's even more important. The book of Revelation is about our identity. We've been talking about this book for a few Sundays now. We began by trying to let go of our preconceptions, let go of, of those, those images that we think of, let go of those ways that we avoid this book and come back to the concrete reality that it is about our identity. It is about the source of our identity. What is the source of your identity? Is it, is it your family? Is it your job? Is it, is it your city? Is it your country? Through this series, we have also been looking at different aspects of the Eucharistic liturgy. We talk about the, the beginning dialogue, the Lord be with you and also with you, about the holy, 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 about Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And today, we're going to talk about the congregational amen. And the people said, amen. There we go. Just one word. <laughs> but it's really important. And it's really not communion if we don't have that one word. If, if that word is missed, it's not quite the same thing. It doesn't seem like much. It happens near the end of our Methodist liturgy after the Epiclesis, where I say, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. And then everybody says... Amen. Amen. Amen is an assent to what is happening. It is an affirmation, a confirmation of what has happened. The new creation described in the book of Revelation, in this reading for today, is the amen of God. It is the amen of God affirming God's faithfulness to creation. The new heavens and the new earth descending to represent that faithfulness to creation. And when the pastor says, pour out your Holy Spirit, and we say, amen, or amen, either one is fine. You could say amen or amen, it's all good. We are affirming God's faithfulness to us in this meal. We're able to believe in God's faithfulness because the God who is the Alpha is also the Omega. It was the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter, the beginning and the end. There is a continuity between creation and redemption. As well, our starting point for the end of all things should be the justice of God. God is righteous and good, and so the end of all things should be righteous and good. And remember, righteousness and justice are the same word in Greek. Dikaosunai, it's the same word. Though sometimes, are you a righteous person or are you a just person, seems different in English. But in the Bible, it's the same word. And when we think about God, we must remember God's justice. And God's righteousness. The God who is just, not the God who is vengeful or petty or arbitrary. The God who is love. And where sometimes, this is where sometimes people misunderstand Revelation. Because it seems like this book doesn't connect with all the other books of the Bible. That there's a little discontinuity going on. You're going on letter, you got nice letters of John and it's this little bit of letter of Jude, which is kind of weird by itself. But then, and then it's like, whoa, revelation. What's going on here? 
It's a little different. It's a lot. Like Jude is, again, like one chapter. And then Revelation, we have these 22 chapters that a lot happens. And it starts off really simply. It starts off this guy, like, writing at his desk. And you can, like, see the video. You know, imagine the movie version of Revelation. It's like, John, like, hello, my name is John. I'm writing this letter. And then, like, pulls out. And, like, there's, there's horsemen and dragons and all sorts of things going on. And then it, but that's not where it ends. It doesn't end with the four horsemen. It doesn't end with the stars being strewn from the sky. It ends here. A new heaven and a new earth. It ends with all things being made new. There's a continuity between all of scripture, between all of creation history, that God is still faithful. God is still faithful. The Alpha is the one who will be the Omega. Our final destiny is not just in this future, though. It is present here. That is what Jesus is getting at in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. The kingdom of heaven is here. So go forth. Bring people here. It's here already. You don't need to wait around. You don't need a plan for it. You can start living it. The kingdom of heaven is not just some churchy discourse. There's a community where people actually love each other. With grace, we can build that. Not on our own. Not because of how awesome we are. But because God is real and God is faithful to us. And when we lean on God and not on ourselves, amazing things happen. We believe it is possible, a community where people care about each other, not because of their past, not because of what they can provide or offer, not as objects of career advancement, not as complications to best laid plans, but where we can talk about challenging things, where we can dig a little deeper than the surface in our lives, and where we think that that matters, and we want that space to dig a little deeper. Where we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we grieve with those who grieve. And when one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. And when one of us is joyful, we are all joyful. Our final identity is not in what we make or do, but in who we are as children of God. We live in a world where most people can't see that. They have to prove themselves to the people in their lives over and over again. They have to prove themselves at their job. They have to prove themselves to their parents, their siblings. They have to prove themselves to their neighbors. They have to keep up with those darn Joneses that keep on getting ahead. They have to prove themselves. Many people feel like they are not good enough, like they are not smart enough. And gosh darn it, people don't like them. It is hard. It is hard in this world. And this is true all over the world. It's not just this country. It's all countries. There are struggles and challenges to meet expectations that seem impossible. Expectations from others, expectations from ourselves, expectations of filling out our plans of making sure we make the plans at the right time, making sure we have the plans early enough so we can get through all of them so we don't miss out our chance at the life that we need to have or else our life is a disappointment. That weight hanging over so many people in this world. The Great Commission is not to go therefore and sign a bunch of people up on some nice list. It is to make disciples. Make students of Jesus Christ. Make people who are willing to learn and change and love and adapt and grow in holiness. This is worth talking about. What is your purpose in life? That may seem like a scary question, but we have answers here. What is your destiny? 
What is the most last thing for you? It's an awkward phrasing, most last thing. It's even more awkward in Greek, your, your eschatological destiny. So most last thing is a little, that's what it means. The most last thing, what is the final thing that you can imagine for yourself? These are not impossible questions that we should avoid. The end of the book, at the end of the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of this most last thing, of what it can look like. So what is it? What is this most last thing? You may ask, oh, I'll tell you. The most last thing is eternity with God. It is a party that never gets old. Think about, close your eyes and think about the best party you've ever been to. It probably didn't last that long. It was probably just a moment. What was like that moment? That one moment where it was like, this is a celebration. This is joy. This is happiness. And then that person you didn't want it to came in and started talking and they just didn't shut up and it went on and on. So heaven is that party without the annoying person because all the annoying people have been peeled. All, all, the joy, all the joy suckers and joy stealers, they've been healed and redeemed. You have been healed and redeemed. You are no longer a joy sucker for other people. I, I hate to break it to you, but all of us have sucked another person's joy at one time in our life. And we are, we are healed of that. We're no, there's no crying or weeping or gnashing of teeth. And there's no next best thing. We're not thinking about, oh, what's the next party we're going to go to? What are we going to do tomorrow? What's our plan for tomorrow? All of us are together in life with our Lord. That is life at its most and best. Our future with God is not the present ad infinitum. We don't just continue on and then like see more people with it. that That is not life with God. That is not what's shown here. It's a new heaven and a new earth and all is being made new. And the amazing thing is God is present in this way now. This is the impulse of mission, of being sent. Life with God is not just this future reality but a present one. And this is something worth sharing. New life is possible now. We read in the story of Jairus and, and the woman who are, are seeking of healing. They're looking for new life. They're trying to get healed by, by Jesus. And the amazing one. And so it's this, this amazing little passage. And there's these like two healing stories that are smashed together. And one's in between the other. And one is the girl who is sick. And this other of this woman, this unnamed woman, who reaches out. She has a bleeding disease. And a bleeding disease is really bad in, in the Jewish faith because it meant she was completely unclean. You had to stop bleeding for a week in order to be clean, in order to be touched by another person. If anybody else touched her, they would also be unclean. And so people are avoiding her, and she is reaching out to touch Jesus. And she does. She reaches out by faith, and she touches Jesus. And she is made well, and it is amazing. And it is amazing. But what happens, you know, after the story happens, she ends up dying. It's not in the scriptures. But she isn't made free from death. It also comes to her. The woman, the girl that is healed, she will also die. Our hope in Christ is not for a momentary elation and joy. And sometimes we get it. Sometimes we get amazing news. Sometimes people in our life are healed. Sometimes there is the people that we think are going to die, they come back. And it's amazing. Sometimes people turn their life around. We pray for people in our lives that we think, oh my gosh, they are just gone off the deep end. I'm never going to see them again, but I love them so much. And then they return. And there's miracles. And that's beautiful. And that doesn't always happen. The rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And life is hard and there's brokenness in this world. But when we see these beautiful moments, 
They don't point to the continuation of this life. They point to our future with God. And that we have these glimpses of God's kingdom here. And these miracles point to what God is already doing. That new life is possible. That we are not limited by our decisions, by our past, by our mistakes. This past week, I took Dominic and Ephraim. We were meeting some friends over at the Central Market up on North Lamar. The other one, but the one with the playground. So it's, it's better for kids. And so we went up there and we pull in off 38th Street. And there's, that's where the Heart Hospital is. And there were some people in scrubs walking by, and Dominic was like, who are those people? And I said, well, that's probably some doctors or nurses. And he said, Dada, you should stop being a preacher and be a doctor. And I was like, well, <laughs> well um, okay, well, it's, you know, it's a little, also a little late for that. <laughs> you got you to gotta start pretty early being a doctor. But, but it made me think about it, especially with this passage, that what if, what if I had wanted to be a doctor? And what if, what if I was just regretting it and feeling like my life wasn't what it could have been because I didn't take the right classes and didn't go to med school and didn't do this? What if I thought, oh, man, I went to the wrong college. I had the wrong major. I did, I did, so, I did poorly in college. I did poorly in high school. I moved to the wrong city. I didn't make the phone call I needed to make. It's so easy to fall into this trap of hypotheticals and to think that our life is determined so much by those decisions in our past. And maybe our life is not as full as it could be because of the decisions we made in our past. And the amazing thing that is revealed to us by Jesus Christ, is revealed to us in good news, this is what new life is, is that we are given the fullness of life here and now. It is not based on what major we had in college. It is not based on those decisions. It's not based on our career. It's not based on how productive we've been this week. It's based on free grace. You are a child of God. God is making all things new, and he's inviting you to the party. That's what this book of Revelation is about. You are invited to the party. The God who is love, the God who created everything, is redeeming everything and making all things new. So let us say amen to our future with Christ. Amen. There we go. Amen. Amen. And let us say amen to the present, which is being made new at this table. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.